Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome back to That's Truth. Maybe this is the first time you've ever tuned in to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe it's the first time you've ever stumbled across the program, That's Truth. We are honored that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to join us on the program. As usual, sitting across the desk from me to answer your questions is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who will be listening to the program. Now, we have a number of questions that have come in this week, and before we get to those, Pastor, you remember the question that came in last week, and I don't have it right here in front of me. Uh, I do have it in front of me here. Talking about the seven chakras, or energy levels in the human body, and how each are assigned a number of flower petals. and how the Bible is written as a very complex document, and we need to figure out the nuances of it and read in between the lines in order to understand the truth. You have something else you want to mention about that? Yeah, I did some further investigation uh, into what these concepts are, especially the chakras. Um, This basically is Hinduism in the form of yoga. Okay. Now remember that the Easternization of the West began in the 60s when you had the, uh, the revolution in terms of the social revolution, also the drug revolution in the 60s. Um, it is then that the Eastern um, gurus and f- teachers began to infiltrate uh, the West. In order to um, foster their plan of completely uh, infiltrating the West with their teaching, they made it somewhat kind of scientific. They couldn't come as though it was a religion. So that's why you get yoga. That's why you got TM. They're all given scientific names, but the whole idea, the same ideology behind all of them is actually Hindu ideology. For example, the chakras, there's seven chakras uh, that um, these people talk about. There's one that has to do with something called the root chakra, the sacral sacral, um, chakra, the solar plexus chakra, the heart chakra, the throat chakra, the third eye chakra, and the crown chakra. The thing about these is that Uh, These are supposed to be energy centers uh, in the spinal cord, and you have to align them and arrange them in order and and get them open so that you have more energy and it'll help you to to have a better health uh, physically and and mentally, etc. The thing I discovered that in order to release and open these chakras, in every case, you have to sit almost in a lotus position with your back right up, and then you have to meditate. And the key thing is this. You have to repeat a mantra. Uh, so you can't get these things open without repeating the mantra. 
um, the mantra for the uh, the root uh, chakra is lamb. You keep repeating lamb, 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 lamb as you're meditating until you you become almost unconscious. The one for sacra is ram. The other one is ram, yam, ham, and arm. If and I'm, these are just neutral words? No, these are not neutral words. That's the other thing. I investigated what these words meant in terms of the uh, the Sanskrit because a lot of them came from the Sanskrit. And what shocked me uh, was to discover that um, at least four or five of these names basically are the names of, of Hebrew, of uh, Hindu gods. So unconsciously, people are actually calling on these gods to release this energy within them. It, it, it's it's pure paganism and idolatry and it, there's no doubt about that demonism is somehow involved in this whole type of thing and the folly about the, the person who wrote the, the sent the thing is that they're trying to syncretize Christianity with Hinduism and trying to come up with a lot of bizarre interpretations, twisting scripture and through specious means uh, actually what they're, they're doing is using a lot of what you call casuistry clever, subtle reasoning to make the Bible say what they find in in Hinduism and find in the yoga, so it's one of the, the, the one of the great betrayals of Christianity of trying to mesh the two together. Uh, there's nothing. In, uh, let me use another e- example. Take take the crown sacra um, chakra. Sorry, um, Nathan. This is what is associated with cosmic consciousness understanding and enlightenment. This is the same thing you get with drugs and and, uh, becoming Mm -hmm. this higher consciousness. Um, uh, Take the third eye chakra. It has to do with clairvoyance, intuition, and psychic sensing. You see the the, the, the association? Uh, And that's where the deception comes in. If we were told that we we are conjuring up Hindu gods to release energy in us, we would be on the guard. But to call it yoga or to call it some other thing like TM, we are disarmed. And, and, and that is where the and, and, and Westerners are not as discerning as they should be because they've surrendered Christianity and abandoned Christianity. They're now open to all kinds of infiltration of false ideologies. And that is leading uh, more and more uh, to this uh, world religion. And uh, that you can see coming together with, with this whole concept of higher consciousness and uh, coming to what is called the Aquarian Age and a New Age, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, where people would consciously think, and by thinking, we'll change the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It is part of the New Age movement as well, all integrated in this whole thing. But all that was said there, I, I read it and I thought it was very, very, I, was, I found it humorous, to be very honest with you, but I found it very disappointing as well that somebody would be arguing for this Bible. Uh, saying that the Bible is, is not an ordinary book and you ought to take it seriously, but it has some kind of special code that is only unlocked through yoga and through Hinduism. I smiled at that to think that, you know, um, how easily we in the West are being deceived. And I'm not too sure how many other people are being deceived by this, but this is pure crap, to be very honest with you, to be rejected completely by Christians and not embraced. And that's why we don't recommend this practice of yoga. Because the the mantra you keep saying is actually five of those are the names of Hindu gods. And if you don't check the meaning of them, you keep repeating, repeating, repeating. Uh, It's a sad reality, but it's something that uh, we find in the West is becoming very, very common.
As a Christian pastor, if I'm saying this name of this Hindu god, but I'm not aware that it's the name of a Hindu god, can there be harm done? Is that just a benign thing? I, I Look, if we're talking about gods, we talk behind gods are demons. We right. know that Paul talks that very, very clearly. So you're actually calling it a demon to release power within you. Of course mm-hmm. it's going to affect you. Uh, we are responsible human beings, and things that we do have consequences. So even though we are Christian, we can get you, know, you can get involved in things you should get involved in, you'll find that, uh, for example, there's some people who have gotten involved with the Ouija board, even who are believers, and it has affected them enormously because you're dealing with a realm that the Lord says not to get involved in. And God is not going to protect us from things that we deliberately put ourselves into. I mean, He has to acknowledge that we are responsible moral beings. The decisions we make and the choices we make have consequences. He can't deliver us from every consequence. Uh, so I do think that there's tremendous harm caused when we get involved in these kind of activities. Now, for the listener who is saying, but Pastor, you're being a little harsh here. Why is this not just your opinion? What is your basis for making decisions and answering questions on this program? Well, again, anybody can investigate what I just said. Uh, you can go online. You can you can Google a lot of this stuff, and you can get you can go into um, certain um, uh, Sanskrit dictionaries, for example, and find out exactly trace the word, the meaning of the word. So it's not something that is. Uh, exclusively the domain of Pastor Murphy, he can discover these things. You can discover these things for yourself. Um, but uh, I, I look, I take the Bible very seriously, Nathan, and any deviation from the Bible and any trying to corrupt the Bible by trying to synchronize Christianity with some false ideology, um, that is not only harmful and unscriptural and unbiblical, but is actually, in my judgment, uh, part of the final apostasy that we're going to have in the end time. We're coming to a point where increasingly the Bible is going to be marginalized, Christians are going to be marginalized, and we, people are telling, all the time are going to be talking about higher spirituality, spirituality, spirituality is increasing, but Christianity is decreasing, and that's because we've moved away from biblical Christianity and embraced a false uh, concept of spirituality. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.41. We are very thankful that you have taken time, made time on your Tuesday evening in order to interact with us on the program tonight. Again, there are a number of questions that have already come in this week before we get back to our topic. But if we make it to our topic tonight, we will be discussing uh, human artificial insemination I want to say another thing. When I was um, looking at these um, seven chakras and also looking at the what concept or what virtue or qualities is involved with them, uh, it brought me back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs okay. in psychology. Yep. Because, for example, take the root chakra. That's associated with survival, security, and grounding. Uh, take the uh, the sacral chakra. That's that's associated with emotions, intimacy, and sexuality. And and uh, you go on. One has to do with love, hope, and compassion. One has to do with communication, creativity, healing. It's a hierarchy. And I I I, I was thinking that if I had to, if I was doing a doctoral thesis, I would try to see what's the connection between Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this, this, this hierarchy, because it seemed to me that there's a, a similarity, uh, and, and it seemed, I don't know if Maslow extracted these things and put them in a different order, but I thought it was fascinating as I looked at this hierarchy of, 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 of uh, chakras and to connect it somehow with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, again, I would like to repeat that the Easternization of the West has brought a lot of. Um, um, 
problems with it and a lot of uh, teachings that are so contrary to the Scripture that people seem to have abandoned Scripture and embraced these Eastern concepts. For example, you take um, reincarnation has become a very big uh, belief system now. Uh, it's included, in, for example, in, even in the, the Rastafarian movement. You know that at least I was an incarnation of God. Uh, a lot of the um, modern religious trends and movements are now embracing this concept of, of reincarnation. But again, that's totally contrary to Scripture. It's the point of man wants to die and after this judgment. So a lot of the Easternization of the West has um, created a situation where people are embracing uh, their concepts and abandoning Scripture to the detriment of Western civilization and the decline of Western civilization because once you abandon the scripture, you abandon the moral base of Western civilization and once the moral base and the spiritual base is gone, the superstructure will collapse eventually because you need genuine, authentic uh, spirituality and morality to uphold a democratic system of government. Other than that, everything is going to collapse and that's that's where we are right now. Everything is collapsing. As you are talking about how secular mindset is working in with the Christian worldview, I've got a question for you, Pastor, and this mm-hmm. came to my mind earlier today. In movies, in the news, in the secular media, we're often hearing that someone became angry or lashed out at someone, and they will sometimes point to unreleased sexual tension. Mm-hmm. And my question to you is, is that from a biblical worldview, is there any basis for that? Because God has given the power to be celibate or single uh, to certain individuals. So yeah. is there a basis for that? Or is that, well, again, the secular worldview? Let me tell you the source of all of that. The source okay. of all of that is a man called Freud. Okay, Freud is the one that sexualized psychology, and he linked every human problem of frustrated sexual energy that was not released. He's the man that really created the philosophical base for sexual liberalization. Because of this pent-up frustration, because you you can't express your sexuality, he he, he said that that was the part of the why you were so sexually messed up. So that is why he 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 watered down the conscience, which is the problem with man, that man's conscience had been so socialized, he's so strict, this this frustration with him is held back for such a long time. So what you got to do is to dilute the conscience now so that the id can now express itself. And that's where this concept of sexual freedom has come. So it's not surprising because the press, the media... Those that go to these these schools, all of these schools are teaching the same basic concept and injecting Freudian thought into people's mind. So that's why you find that everybody's parroting the same thing, because it's coming from one source, the intellectual centers of the world. That's where all this thing is coming from. It's a great reminder as a Christian that we need to always have our guard up and be filtering everything through the filter of Scripture and not just be sitting there on our couch at the end of the workday watching a TV (laughs) show and saying, okay, whatever is said, I'm just going to accept that as fact or yeah. truth. Let me use another expression, Nathan. Who do you think introduced the concept that you are controlled by your unconscious? So you're not responsible. I'm going to guess Freud. Freud. Yeah. Freud is the first person to introduce the idea that you are unconscious, that your unconsciousness controls you so that you do things because your unconscious make you do things. Now, of course, the Bible, that is contrary to the Bible. We do things, the Bible says, because we have evil desires within us called lust that motivate us to do things. But here's what Freud did. By absolving people of responsibility, that I am not responsible, it's my unconsciousness that make me do things, is now absolving. So that is why you find that the criminal, 
for example, is uh, now viewed as though he's a victim. He's not responsible for his actions. It's actually the environment or society or the government that really created the situation so that he is no longer responsible. That is contrary to Scripture. We are motivated by certain desires within us that are fallen desires, and we are responsible for our actions. Freud has done great damage uh, to, to, to the Western world and especially to Christianity. You know, he was an atheist, uh, and he hated uh, Christianity, and it's believed that he really, his whole life was intended to destroy Christianity, and that's why he came up with a lot of these philo- uh, psychological ideas. I would imagine that he would be surprised how much his ideas have worked into the so-called Christian realm. And again, Nathan, that goes back to the schools, the Christian schools. Uh, in order to be considered intellectual and smart and not obscurantist, uh, what you do, you have to include certain things in your curriculum. See, The other thing is, of course, accreditation is another thing, because uh, depending on, on certain situations, there are certain courses you have to take if you're going to go into different certain fields of, of, um, of, of learning. And uh, the pressure is placed on these, these Christian schools to involve these secular ideas. And it goes from the, this Christian school to the pastor, to the leaders, and then they come into the church, and it goes from there into the church. Before you know that, we've got the completely secularization of life. And that is what has happened. And one of the great disappointments is that Christians have not been willing to take a stand on these issues and say, this is where it ends. This is where it stops. We want change, but we don't want to pay the price for change. And we've been compromising and giving in and giving in until right now we've got the world so secularized. We wonder how in the world did it happen? It happened right under our noses because we weren't willing to pay the price to take a stand. If you have a question, we would love for you to call in. The phone number to call and be put live on the air is 1-268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it in. And we will ask it in the order in which it came in. The number to send it to is one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, you can comment your questions right there on your device, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. No matter how you're joining us tonight, whether it's on AM, FM, online, or on Facebook, we are very thankful that you are participating in the program tonight. Pastor, a question that has come in during the last week. A young woman, and this is a fairly lengthy question, multiple levels. I'm going to read the whole thing and then go back piece by piece. A young woman and a young man were together for 12 years. Upon the 12th year, he left her and she committed suicide. She wanted marriage. He didn't. Question, shouldn't dating be cautioned with discernment? Why do people entertain relationships like such when it's not what they both want they both should have some idea of what they want and wasted each other's time 12 years is a long time to invest into someone more so marriage isn't a bed of roses people really don't know the meaning of marriage yet most settle for common law relationships funny though most common law relationships stand the test marriages end up in divorce so back to the first question Shouldn't dating be cautioned with discernment? I think it's perhaps one of the most serious aspects of human life, this idea of dating. Um, The two most important decisions you'll make in life is to get saved. The second one is to get married. So this thing is taken very, very, very lightly, and I think that we need to give more attention 
to the importance of dating and what's the purpose of dating and what you want to discover during dating. For example, 12 years is, is too long as far as I'm concerned. If I was dating a woman for 12 years or a man and vice versa, that's really too long. I mean, you don't need 12 years to find out about a person. And I, I don't know. And, and then within that 12-year period, it is very likely that they've experienced all that they would experience within marriage, including sex, because of that, that duration is so long. It, you don't grow apart uh, with years. You grow towards each other. And chances are, I would suspect, person who's gone for 12 years, there's nothing really to look forward to. I think they would have enjoyed all the benefits without the, the encumbrance of marriage, if I want to use that term. Um, uh, the reason why, oh, the other thing is that they said that common law marriage seemed to last longer than, yeah. than that's not true. The reason why common law marriage lasts that long is because there's no real commitment. The wife is, f- is fooling around, the husband is fooling around, they're just content to live in the house. They don't want complete monogamy and complete, um, it's not a, a situation, it's one-on-one, a monogamous relationship. So that's why it seemed to last, it's because uh, they're not married, so he can he can fling around, she can fling around, etc., etc., but they come together, etc., etc. So it's not true that they last longer. Uh, if they do last long, it's because they don't have the limitations that are placed on a marriage of exclusivity, and that is perhaps where it happens. Um, you know, people marry and, and uh, get into this kind of a situation for a lot of reasons. Women, for example, what a woman really wants is above everything is security. That's what she wants, security. So she, a guy can keep her going on for a long time because he keeps promising her security, and she keeps believing, 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 believing. She, you know, she's not have her head on, and she's not getting good counsel and advice from her parents or some godly person that is in her life. Chances are she keeps on believing the lie that is being told that there's always security. And then, of course, people do this because of the sex drive. It is the strongest drive that perhaps people have. It's it's even stronger than even preservation. We know that because take the the incident of AIDS, where everybody knows that if you get AIDS, you've pretty much got a a, a death warrant. That hasn't changed many many people's lifestyles. People are still living reckless sex lives, and that's because of the the, the sexual drive. So even though we're told that life uh, preservation is the number one instinct, it's very, very, very clear that sex takes a much more part because people are jeopardizing their lives every single day. And not only on non-married people, but married people as well. Uh, and then, of course, um, some people go into this situation because they've got a, a bad home situation they want to get out of. So they're looking for a partner, and uh, they find comfort in the person that uh, that they're associated with. And then independence. As you get a certain age, you want independence. You don't want to be cropped up at home all the time. You want mom telling you what hours to come in, dad tell you what. So you want that kind of independence. And then sometimes there's social pressure. You reach a certain age. You're not married yet? How come you're not married yet, right? Uh, and, and that kind of helps uh, push people in that direction. And one of the biggest problems in this era, Nathan, is belated premarital counseling. And what I mean by that is this, people wait until they've set the date for marriage, they've sent out the invitations, and then they say to the pastor, well, we want, can you give us premarital counseling? I mean, what can a pastor do in a situation like that? You've already decided you're going to get married, you've already sent out the invitations, you've already told people within a year you're going to get married. I mean, what can a pastor, premarital counseling is not about you having made up your mind, and then you come for advice. Premarital counsel is about, listen, this is a prospect. I possibly can get married to this person. We're seriously thinking about, but I need counsel on this matter. What should we look at, etc.? So it's not 
you don't come for premarital after you've made up your, your mind deliberately, you've chosen dates, etc., etc. You come before because you want to get a perspective, objective perspective. Is this the real person? Uh, what are the factors involved, etc., etc. So I think people get messed up a lot of these situations. Uh, I just gave you six or seven reasons, but this is, uh, in my judgment, part of the reason why we're in this kind of a dilemma. Kind of a follow-up along that same line is, what are your views on arranged marriage and also girls being deprived of their childhood to be dragged into marriage that they don't understand, bearing in mind that in some countries this is tradition? Well, whether it's tradition or not, uh, from a biblical perspective, to drag somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and put them into marriage, um, uh, clearly I can't support that because man was made to be a free moral creature and we ought to be able to make choices and decisions. However... But weren't there many I come cases? In, I come into that now. However, when you come to the Scriptures, you find that the parents, in uh, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, because we read uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 7 and 8, uh, you'll find that it has reference there of uh, a man dealing with his, his, his virgin, uh, his rights in, in, in controlling her time of, of uh, marriage, etc., etc. Um, this is where I do believe that parents should have input into a marriage. Uh, I think that your parents brought you into this world and God has given you those parents for a specific reason. I think that in most cases, uh, if you have Christian parents, they want your best welfare. They've got experience, they've got knowledge, they've been through a lot of things in life. They're able to, to discern things that you can't discern because you haven't been that road yet. So I do think that while it, I don't think the parents should make the decision as who to get married, I do feel it is unwise and downright um, disrespectful for anybody contemplating marriage not to bring their parents into it. Uh, to f- Dad, I want to get married. Mom, I want to get married. Um, I need your advice and get their counsel. Uh, I do feel as well, and this might be very strong, I do feel that I would uh, I would not marry a person if the parents are against the marriage. Mm-hmm. I would advise the couple to work on the parents to get their approval, to win their approval, but to go into a marriage where the parents are totally against it uh, is going to lead to a lot of frustration in the future, a lot of in-law problems. And not only that, you want your grandchildren to have the security of gr- your grandparents. I mean, there are times when you have to leave them with them, you need care, you want to go overseas, cut down your bill on your child care. Often you've got grandparents help you, they've got wisdom and counsel to pass on. But I do feel that it's a mistake to just rush into a marriage or go into a marriage without consulting the parents and taking their advice and actually getting their approval. I think that is uh, something that is biblical. I think it is wise and uh, I think it's being re- uh, respectful as well to do that. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.57. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse broadcasting from Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM and online at www.radiolighthouse.org Pastor, I'm familiar with a pastor in the States that again, he would only perform the marriage if both parents agreed And he would actually require that all parents who are living write a letter addressed to him as to their support for the relationship because he had had 
performed some marriages and then even within a church and then a couple of years later a parent said I was never for that I wasn't which they had said they were for it but he always kept those on file if he did the premarital counseling so that he could pull it out and say look you did you were for it yeah I, I, I'm not too sure if I would be that uh, stringent uh, but I do uh, feel very strongly that um, I do not perform weddings if the parents are not for the wedding I did that once in our church and the person left the church um, I, I don't want to say I was proven to be right but I knew I was right about the whole situation and years later I must admit the person said Pastor you were right I knew I was right because uh, I just knew that once it comes to look we can't go wrong by following a biblical principle we can't go wrong in that respect and no one can read the Old Testament or the New Testament without seeing the, the input that parents had in marriage. And I think when we go away from that, we're actually catering to the modern way of thinking. And we got to be biblical in everything that we do in this respect. Uh, and I really think it's important. I really think it's important. I don't see why anybody would think it's important that the parents approve the wedding. I mean, how can I how can I have a, a relationship with my, uh, my uh, in-laws if I know that there are totally against the marriage. How, how is that going to work? Mm-hmm. You marry into a family, Nathan. You just don't marry an individual and marry into a family. It is vitally important. And I think as a pastor, I think we pastors, now listen, I, I, people may not agree with me on this one, but I'm not the only person who could marry. I would rather have a successful marriage and take in a position like that than to just marry to, to crunch numbers. And uh, I would don't want to say too much, but I've known of other pastors who have actually, people I refused to marry turned around and married and turned out to be a disaster. And I think that's a, a, a real mistake, a, a, gro- a, gr- a great mistake to make those kind of decisions. Pastor, another question that has come in. Why do Christians sing, so I cherish the old rugged cross when it was a piece of equipment used by sinful men to nail Jesus in shame on? Shouldn't we be cherishing Jesus Christ for dying in our place? The cross could not bear our sin. Well, to be very honest with you, that's what, that's what, you, what you actually said is what the cross is about. This cross is a symbol symbol of Christ, what Christ did for us. So when we talk about cherish the cross, we cherish the fact that he died for us. We're not cherishing a, a cross that the Catholic would uh, flex before a cross and put the three signs of the cross. That's not what we do as, as Christians. But we cherish it in the sense that it has become a... The cross means Christ's death. That's what it means to the believer. So when, when Paul says that, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross by whom uh, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world, he's talking about the death of Christ has separated between him and the world. That 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 price that Christ paid on the cross and his substitutionary death and the death on his cross, that became the, the, the means of dividing us uh, from the world. It, it came in between us and the world. It's what makes a difference in our lives. So when we talk about the cross, we're not talking about uh, worshipping the uh, actual uh, material form of a cross. It, we, we talk what it represents. The cross talk the death of Christ and Christ's death for us. So that's why we, we talk we, uh, about the cross. It's not about the physical cross that you see in, in these established churches, etc., etc. We're talking about actually the death of Christ. And another WhatsApp question. Good evening. How is it that Jesus told him not to touch him before he ascended to his father, but in another occasion he told Thomas to touch him? Repeat that again. How is it that Jesus told, I think there must be a word missing, Jesus told not to touch him 
before he ascended to his father, but in another occasion he told Thomas to touch him. Well, that is very obvious. Before he had ascended to his father, um, I think it was Mary trying to grab onto him yes, to hold him, yeah. and he said, you know, touch me not because... But he ascended to his father, and then he came back and appeared. So we know that after he uh, came out of the tomb three days, and then the Bible says he ascended up on high. So it was after he ascended up on high and, and was back among the disciples that Thomas was allowed, but before he had not gone to that ascended. Pastor, we have a caller from Virgin Gorda. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yes, the Bible said, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. What it means? And the second one, David was a man after God's own heart. What what that means? But I think we answered that question last week, because death and hell... I didn't get it that good. Oh, okay, okay. The word hell there is Hades. Hades is where yes. the the departure of the wicked, that's where they go to. Yes. And death, of course, is the what you might call the grave. Okay. So what he's saying that there'll be no more death. He has the key to, to death. In other words, he he opens the door to death. He unlocks the door to death, and yeah. he, and, and and also Hades. He will unlock Hades, etc. If you read the book of uh, Revelation, chapter twenty, you yeah. find that death and Hades are cast in the lake of fire. Now there'll be no more uh, death. There'll be no more Hades. It's all gone. That's what it really means. He has the key to all of that. Okay. And the other one, David, a man after God's own heart, uh, I indicated to you that David was the type of person mm-hmm. whose heart uh, God looked f- look for, a kind of person he, he, God looked for in terms of this heart yeah. attitude towards God. Yeah. Uh, again, I pointed out to you that uh, David had his mistakes, but you cannot read the Psalms and the life okay. of David without knowing that David had a real deep, devoted heart to God, and he yeah. always was one that would pray to God. You know, you, you know how, look, the, the proof of a, a person's spiritual life is his prayer life. Yeah. Okay, and that gives you an indication that in spite of all that David was, he mm-hmm. always was one that would come to God in prayer, and he always lived a dependent life on God. That is what a man uh, is uh, who's after God's own heart. A one that looks and depends upon God and looks to God for answers. Yeah. That's what it means. Mm-hmm. I, I got working from 12 until 8, and when I came in the Sunday morning, I met my daughter died in the bed. Wow, that must have been very painful. Oh, it's very painful, Dr. Murphy. Yeah, but I, I'm, I promise you, as soon as we get permission, as soon as we get permission to go up there, uh, mm-hmm. I promise you I still will see him. I, I need to see him. I need to talk to him. You must pray for me, Pastor Murphy. I need to uh, for your prayer. Okay. That the Lord will remove mental illness from the family. I'll pray for you. Okay? Yeah, pray for me. Okay. Yes. All right, then. Thanks for calling. God Thanks bless. Thank you for your call from Virgin Gorda. We appreciate you listening from that section of the Caribbean. No matter where you are listening, we are glad that you are participating in the program tonight. Pastor, another question that has come in, and this is in relation to a video about the Bible being banned in the U.S. and a couple of other different countries around the world. I won't play the whole thing, but I'll play some audio sure. from uh, the first Ask, would this uh, prohibit the sale of the Bible that teaches these things about sexual morality? This includes efforts to change behaviors. I mean, that is the role of parents to guide their children's behaviors. If they are not allowed to guide their children's behaviors with uh, their religious beliefs, then what what rights do parents even have in the state of California? You can't read 
And by the way, uh, as this bill is written, uh, it would be banning the Bible. We can't read. And by the way, uh, as this bill is written, uh, it would be banning the Bible. So tell us more about this bill. I mean, it sounds like a stretch even for California, a bill attacking free speech and freedom of religion. There's eight homosexual legislators, Democrats, all of them, who are sponsoring this bill. And AB 2943 would start by saying, okay, nobody can get counseling to overcome same-sex desires, okay? So no help. See where students have decided to throw the Bible out of their dorms. So one of Britain's largest hotel chains actually decided to remove all of its Bibles from its hotel rooms in order not to discriminate any religion at all. Well, the words Jesus and Christ have been banned as offensive uh, by Marks and Spencer's on its uh, online gift messaging. And the video goes on for a couple more minutes, but it's just a compilation of different legislation and different situations where companies have made a decision to like the announcer one, and so they've taken the Bible out of hotel rooms. You know, traditionally you could find a Bible in the the drawer in the hotel room, but that is changing in the day and age that we live. Pastor, are you familiar with this type of thing, and what how what should be our approach? Well, look, um, the bill that was passed by Parliament, um, the Congress in, in America, uh, the Democratic Party in America has lost its moral authority. Um, it, 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 it's completely unscriptural, unbiblical. Um, they are, you know, they blame the conservatives and say that, you know, that the evangelical party doesn't have a moral base in that's gone completely gone so you're dealing with people who have a vacuum a moral vacuum and the whole idea basically is to completely dismantle biblical christianity in america there's a battle to do that right now uh, and and here's conservatives uh, of uh, evangelicals vote conservative and that has to be broken and that's where legislation is a tool that is being used to break the back of the evangelical movement in America. It is very, very obvious. What evangelicals need to do, there are almost 68 million of them, is to take a stand. Uh, the, the problem with American Christians is that they, they don't have any guts anymore. They don't seem to want to pay a price anymore. They are kowtowing to political power and uh, oppression, but they need to take a stand. Even if they have to go, they don't have enough jail to put 68 million Americans in, okay? That's what they need to do. They need to, to actually become very active because if they don't, it's just like when, when they put Bibles out of the school and pray out of the people, they should have taken a stand there. When they started teaching evolution in the school, they should have taken a stand there. They've been reneging and reneging and reneging and surrendering and surrendering until then they found themselves almost enclosed by this monolith of atheistic immoral behavior. And they're crying out because they've surrendered and surrendered. It's time to take a stand. And that's the only thing that will bring them out of this rut. The other thing is this. Look at the California thing that they're talking about. Eight homosexual Democrats are the one that's pushing this bill. You know why? Because the homosexual community and the bisexual community and the lesbian community and the transgender community cannot uh, accept that you and I do not think that they're normal. They are not normal people. They are abnormal people. They are aberrant people. They are 
perverts. The Bible condemns this kind of practice in its, in, 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 so explicitly. This is not something that is natural. It's against nature. Look, even if you allow them, that's what has happened. The, 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 the people thought that allowing uh, homosexuals and uh, would be sufficient, but they don't want that. They don't want you to say it's wrong. They, they, they can't bear you taking a stand against it. So therefore, this legislation is designed to muzzle Christians. And uh, the idea of uh, you can't get counseling if you are uh, a transgender or homosexual or lesbian. You can't use the Bible. Again, I'm not in America, but if I was in America, they could never shut me down. They put me in jail first. We have, we have to obey God rather than men, okay? And uh, there's no basis. And by the way, the reason why they don't want that is because there are so many homosexuals that have come out of homosexual lifestyle to prove that they were not born homosexual, that it can change through biblical counseling. And those that want this thing to continue, they now want to stop that from happening to, as though they want to vindicate the fact that they were born this way. There's a battle, a moral battle going on for the soul of America, and Christians need to take a stand, even if it means imprisonment, etc. Pastor, I think it would be safe to say that, unfortunately, America is a step down that slippery slope further than the Caribbean for the most part. So what should we here in the Caribbean be, ta- be sure that, that we are taking a stand on before we go any further down that slope? Well, look, I, I, I have called the the Attorney General of Antigua, uh, Cutie Benjamin, the boldest and bravest Attorney General in the Caribbean. And I called him that because I remember there was some article in the paper some t- time ago when he basically said that the homosexual lifestyle, uh, something to that effect, I, I, I got the clipping, but he took a stand, a very strong stand against this homosexual agenda. I thought he would have been fired. I thought that the pressure we put, in natural pressure put on the government to release him, but he is one of the bravest attorney generals you could find anywhere. To make that kind of a statement and take a stand and not suffer the consequence was just amazing to me. Um, I'm not too sure that the politicians in the Caribbean got the guts to take a moral stand on this issue. And the reason for that is uh, we depend a lot on, on aid. Uh, we depend a lot of investment. We depend, uh, we depend on tourism. We can be completely victimized on um, the tourism industry that we are uh, we call homophobic and, and stuff like that. So it can actually affect the, the economy of the country. Uh, I am not too sure that they have the, the guts to do it. What I would say to any politician who might be listening to the program or anybody, we've got to decide if we are a nation that claim to be Christian in the sense that we believe in God and believe in the scriptures, or if we are going to bow to the pressure of the uh, perverted Western elitists who want to push us in a certain direction. Now, I know the Africans can push against it because Africa has the resources to to stand up against a lot of these. these. As a matter of fact, I think I I mentioned sometime on the program, when Mr. Obama has sent down the his uh, commissioner or whatever is to all of these islands and to the African countries to promote the homosexual agenda. And when they went to Africa, the, the Africans told him, we would eat grass before we do what you want because they're able to resist that. We in the Caribbean are not just sure the politicians have the guts to take a stand on these matters. But if we don't, we are going to find ourselves in the same situation we find ourselves in America where if you take preaching, for example, in Canada, uh, 
if you preach a sermon and you preach against homosexuality and the, the, the person hears you, you can be taken to court, you can be fined. If you don't pay the fine, you can be put in jail. In, in, in parts of uh, Europe, it's already happening. It's going to happen here as well. I, I know that the pastors here within the Independent Baptist Circle, I know we will go to jail for this because we are not going to, we are not going to surrender teaching the Bible in order to please anybody. Uh, we must please God rather than man. So, but I don't know the mindset of other Christian leaders in this country. But we need to take a stand. And uh, I think the government still respects the church. And I think the church need to take a very strong stand on this matter. And uh, as you know, in the Caribbean, it's about votes. And I think if we had a strong voice within the Christian community that we're against these kind of things, I think the governments would, would, would think twice and three times about following the same trend in America because it's going to hurt us down here badly just as help hurt in America. Pastor, a WhatsApp question that has come in. Good evening. What is your advice to a young lady who got married today and the next day decided to move in with her husband but having reached to his place discovers he was missing? Days after, she found out that he was living with a young lady and her mother. Should she seek legal advice, and would this be grounds for annulment, even if the young lady is pregnant? Well, obviously, this is this is a betrayal. This is this is a married. Then to discover the husband is sleeping with another woman, <laughs> this is complete betrayal. That, that's biblical grounds for divorce, as far as I am concerned. Uh, and I think as well, I'm not sure what the legal repercussions of that, but if I was a lawyer, I would take that case up because this is complete betrayal. I mean, I marry you, and you you misled me. You 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 and. Uh, I mean, a guy like this should never get away with this kind of a stuff. Think about what that means. Think of your daughter marrying a man, think he's mar- then she goes to this place, discover he's not there, then he's living with somebody else. I mean, everybody be mad. So I'm not too sure what can be done legally because I'm not a, a, a lawyer. But quite frankly, if it was my daughter, I would have sought a lawyer to find out what can be done. He ought to be made to pay uh, some costs. Because if he's done this to one woman, he's going to do it to another. Yeah. And uh, I don't think these people should get away with this kind of a thing. We've got, to t- we've got to take moral issues very seriously and get back to a Bible base on these matters. But, madam, I think you have grounds for divorce right there, biblical grounds as well. Why do Baptist churches not use a lady pastor or a lady minister? Well, look, Baptists follow scriptures, okay? That's why we don't do it. And if you read the book of Timothy... Paul makes it very, very clear why a woman should not have authority over a man in the church. And he gave two biblical grounds for it, okay? Number one, he says, because of the, the order of creation. The order of creation was not a mistake by God. God created man first because man was supposed to be the leader in the home, in government, and in the church. That's how God intended it to be. Uh, and that was based on the hierarchy of creation. That doesn't change. Right. Secondly, Paul explains that the woman uh, was the one that was deceived. She's susceptible to deception, and especially through uh, verbal communication. And of course, when it comes to pastoral work, that is where a lot of the work is done. So the fall and the created order is uh, given as the basis for a, a woman not being uh, a pastor in the church. The other thing is this. The qualifications in the Bible completely exclude women from being a pastor. Read the book of Titus and the book of Timothy, where Paul is outlining what are the qualifications. Uh, It's very, very clear. There's no opening there whatsoever for a woman to be a pastor. So we just follow the Bible, and that's what we hold to. Uh, Others 
I would say to you, uh, are put the pressure um, is being placed on other churches, and now they come up with word interpretations to create a basis for women pastors. But any honest person reading the scriptures and looking at the qualifications, and also, by the way, if you check church history, uh, the first several hundred years of church history, you don't find it's any woman pastor whatsoever. So I, I, uh, there's no biblical base for it. There's no um, uh, post-first um, century basis for it either. Uh, this is just something that other religions have done, and I think it's because of the social pressure put upon them today, and especially with the, f- the feminist movement and the idea of creating an egalitarian society where everybody's equal, there's no distinction between the others. There are clear distinctions between the sexes that God has made, and those cannot be erased. Look, when it comes to the whole matter, it comes back to what is the final authority. And the final authority is the Word of God. If we hold to the final authority of the Word of God, whatever else happens doesn't matter for us. What God says and what God's words uh, affirms is what we hold to, and we're willing to pay the price if there's a price to be paid as a result of taking a stand on these matters. Thank you for that question. And if you are interested in hearing a whole episode dedicated to that topic, you can Google That's Truth podcast. And when you find the archive on Spotify or Anchor or whichever podcast provider you choose to use, Look for episode number six. It is entitled Roles of Men and Women in Church Leadership, and that's a whole 60-minute episode dedicated to that topic. When was the last time that you encouraged someone to tune in and listen to That's Truth? When was the last time that you encouraged someone to ask that hard question that they're asking you to ask Pastor Murphy on That's Truth? Let me encourage you to do that. Pastor, here's another question that's come in. Good night, brothers. I recently had an interaction centered on homosexuality and salvation. Initially, I had maintained not believing a practicing homosexual could be saved truly. However, after thought on what the other person said, I became uncertain because I know I truly can't know who is saved and who isn't. Only God knows that person's heart. On one hand, God says... God says use his word for discernment. However, he also says he cannot know someone's heart. We cannot know someone's heart. I do know we can fall to deception as Christians, which brought me to asking, how do we know when we are compromising versus adjusting a mindset to accommodate spiritual growth? Well, look, uh, the answer to that question is very, very simple. First Corinthians chapter 6 is the answer to that question. Uh, and, and if Nathan, you could just turn there for just a moment, and First uh, okay. yeah. Corinthians chapter six. Okay. First Corinthians chapter six, and if you are new to this program, we get our answers from Scripture. It's not just political opinion. What's politically correct? We go back to Scripture. And if there's not a specific verse that talks about the topic, there are always principles that will apply to it. Verse 9, and read that, please. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, it's very, very clear there um, that the, the, you read verse 10 as well, right? right now? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's very, very clear that, that anybody who is practicing these things, and that's the Greek language, by the way, it's not that the, the person has committed an act. It has to do with practicing. No practicing pers- person was de- deliberately practicing these kind of things. You don't have any basis whatsoever. Uh, to believe that that person is genuinely saved. That's what the Bible is saying, the unrighteous. And it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Go on, you, you, you read that. The deception is that we have today, uh, and, and by the way, this is supported by John in, the, in John's epistle. John says that he that is born of God does not habitually practice sin. It's not that the believer can't sin. See, the difference is that the believer cannot uh, habitually practice sin and uh, live in sin indefinitely, etc., etc. That is contrary to Scripture. You have a divine nature in you. And if you read Romans chapter 6, by the way, Paul explains this in great detail, that because of the believer's union with Christ, when he was baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul said the believer has died, died to the sin nature. And that word, death, all of the separation, the separation between the human personality and the sin nature, and the new natures come in between there. So that Paul, Paul says, how can people such as we live in sin. It's, it's astounding that Paul said that, you know, let us sin that uh, grace may abound uh, in that passage. Here's the problem we have. We have refused to take the Bible seriously. We see people make professions of faith. They go on in the Christian life for a long time. Then we see them uh, leave the Christian faith and live in adultery and uh, immorality for all these kind of years. And we get the impression that, wait a minute, those people were saved. The vast majority of those people simply were false. Okay, And I'm saying to you, any man that is a homosexual, that is practicing homosexual and claims to be a Christian, he's bogus. Totally bogus, based on this verse of Scripture. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. By their lifestyle you should know them. That's the test, their lifestyle. Right? Not what they say, how they live. That's the test. And that must be the acid test for the, the believer and for the church as well. Right? Our church will never accept a homosexual as a Christian, a lesbian as a Christian, a transgender as a Christian. Impossible. What about a covetous person, Pastor? Again, if a person habitually is that the practice, the Bible says, by their fruit you should know they don't belong to the Lord. It's not just the homosexual. It's these things. A practicing fornicator, for example, who habitually is living a life of fornication. There's no biblical basis to say that person is a Christian. That's why by their fruit you should know them. That's the evidence of what you say. Now, I know I'm saved. Right, and I know that when I got saved, something radically happened in my life. That doesn't mean I can't sin, but I can't habitually be practicing sin in my life. The Holy Spirit is within me, and God's nature is within me, and that pulls me in the direction of living a righteous life. Uh, that's my experience, and I hope that's the experience of everybody who's a born again believer. But we got a lot of false, fake people who have entered the church because they said a little prayer. They didn't even know what they were doing and came to do something because I said a little prayer, therefore I'm saved. They can't even talk about any radical transformation in their lives. And the church has been very complicit in this matter as well. So they haven't talked about repentance. 
Because that's the first thing that needs to be settled when you come into salvation. Are you willing to repent of your sin and turn away from your sin? Well, we said come forward and believe, so come forward and say a prayer. But a lot of these people don't even know what the word repent because they've never had any, never repented of their sins. And that's the tragedy of peddling a gospel that is a false gospel, even though you use the name of Jesus. It's a truncated gospel because it's only about believing, it's not about repentance. And that's the folly we have in the church today, and it's created massive problems for the church. And to change this whole system creates even more problems because then people begin to say, but you shouldn't judge. But the Bible says, I should judge by their fruit. There's no contradiction there whatsoever. So I would say to you, whoever the homosexual is that spoke to you, he might be a good talker, but take it from me, he doesn't have spiritual life within him. He doesn't have the life of God because the Spirit of God would convict him. No one can read the Bible without seeing clearly that homosexuality is not only abnormal. Read Romans chapter 1. It's against nature, Paul says. So it is not something that um, we should never tolerate it, and we should always speak out against it. And I will never be muzzled of speaking against these things that are wrong, because if God said they're wrong, they're wrong. It doesn't matter how man tries to change the opinion uh, around these matters. We need to take stands as believers. We need to be willing to pay the price. If we don't want willing to pay the price, the situation will continue to deteriorate and it gets worse and worse. And they, eventually, we're the ones who are going to get hurt in the long term. You know, it's like Christianity brought all this freedom to the West. Now these same people turn around and use the freedom that they had to muzzle Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing turnaround. They would never have had the freedom had they not had the freedom that Christianity offers. But now they take that freedom, they now turn around and use it against us. And we got to take a stand against and push back very hard against this whole matter. The, fo- the folly is, of the, all the thing by, by Nathan is this. Too many Christians become politicized. Mm-hmm. You're not taking a stand on what is, is morally correct. Is, is what party? Morally correct by the Bible. By Scripture, yeah. correct. They're not taking a stand in that particular matter. Uh, and, for example, I could not be a member of a political party that commit uh, a, uh, it's for abortion. Mm-hmm. How in the world? Life is the most precious gift God has given. No man has a right to take life. How can I be a, a member of a party, a supportive party, that kills millions of from America, 1973 until now, I think it's like 34 million people uh, have been killed. Okay, uh, I could not support uh, Planned Parenthood that, uh, with their abortion, et cetera, et cetera, because they're the chief means of abortion. But because of the a party that protect protect that we we, we have forgotten our Christianity, and uh, we've allowed that uh, forgetting our Christianity, we compromise. And once we find ourselves in a compromising position, we find it difficult. Now we can't. We speak with a forked tongue, so people don't take us very seriously because we say one thing, but look, the party we support and support the very opposite. How can we be taken seriously? You've been pointing to some false gospels throughout the evening. Can you draw us to the truth? What is the true gospel? How does a person become a Christian? You know, I I just preached on Sunday on the um, the gospel. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says to the Corinthians, I delivered unto you, first of all, uh, the gospel that Christ died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. That is the message of the gospel. The, it, has to, it centers around Christ, 
his death and his resurrection. The Bible says his death, he died for our sins. The Bible says he raised for our justification. The fact that God accepted the sacrifice of Christ for us uh, and that the fact that Christ was vindicated being the Son of God was the resurrection. You can't have a gospel without the, the, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Nobody is a Christian who doesn't believe in the resurrection. Nobody's a Christian who doesn't believe in the death of Christ. No matter what they proclaim, what they say, nobody is a Because Paul says, if we don't believe those things, we're yet in our sins. See, we are not being forgiven, not pardoned. So the gospel is about the death and the resurrection of Christ. It centers around his dying in our place as a substitute so that our sins could be forgiven. And what God asks us to do in return is to repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you repent of your sins and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you become a believer. God adopts you to his family. You become justified. And the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit begins in your life because the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and then he begins to work on you on the inside out. A lot of people trying to work on the outside in, but he works on the inside out. So he begins to make you more holy and more righteous and more godly because he's at work in your life. The name of the program is That's Truth. We are here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. After all, the Bible is the one source of truth that is unchanging in this day and age where what is politically correct seems to be changing even from one newscast to the next. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.31, and there is still about 26 minutes left in tonight's episode. So if you have a question, there is still time for you to send it in. You can call and be put live on the air, one 462 This is a safe place for you to call. We aren't here to belittle you, to make you feel ignorant. We are here to hear your question and answer it from the Bible. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to 1-268-782-1454. Or, as some have already been doing this evening, you can comment your questions on the Facebook Live video feed, and they will be asked in a timely manner. Yeah, I want to say a word about the guy asked me some Russell, Charles C. Russell, yeah, of yes. the yeah uh, last week. I, I, I want to ch- say a few words about him because uh, I want to um, say that Russell started out as a Presbyterian. Okay. He, he became a Congregationalist, and then at age 18, he began to have problems about hell. He he had a problem trying to um, synchronize the idea of an endless uh, eternity, uh, eternal hell, and reconcile that with a merciful God. So he left the uh, Congregationalist Church, and he went and he began to associate with the Seventh-day Adventists. Okay? He adopted a lot of Seventh-day Adventist doctrines, especially the idea that the Lord had returned invisibly. Remember the Adventists said that uh, he went from the holy place to the holy of holies, uh, and what he's doing now is doing investigative judgment. He also adopted that idea that Christ, because the Adventists prophesied that Christ would come back to earth in 1833, and he didn't come back to earth in 1833. And they said, well, you know, we had the time wrong to put it in 1834. He still didn't come back, and they had given up. Uh, including Miller. And then, of course, Hiram going across a, a field had this vision where he saw that Christ left the holy place and went into the holy hill. All of this is, is, is pure theological nonsense. But nonetheless, uh, he adopted the idea that Christ had returned invisibly, and of course he's ruling in the Watchtower Authority, basically. Um, he also, I discovered, um, 
began when he started publishing his books and a lot of his literature. He used a guy called Nelson B. Barber, which was the herald of the morning, which is a Seventh-day Adventist publication. A lot of his uh, literature and writings were actually published by the Seventh-day Adventist uh, Barber in this Herald of, of Mourning. So there is this connection between them in terms of the historicity of the origin of the uh, some of the teaching. That's why, for example, the Adventists believe in annihilation. They don't believe in uh, endless hell. Again, that suited uh, Russell's opinion, and he as well, they don't believe in, in a hell, they believe in an annihilation as well. So some of the doctrines were borrowed from Adventism and, went, uh, in, and were brought over into, into, into the... Um, the JW system. Thank you for that information, Pastor, and thank you to the individual who asked about information last week in relation to uh, Russell. Pastor, we have a question that has come in from Facebook. Why, when people ask us as children of God to pray for them, why can't we just stop what we're doing and pray for the person? Too many times we take the request and continue with what we're doing and then don't remember. We act as if tomorrow or even the next minute is ours. You know, that's a good question. It's probably worth some reflection, to be very honest with you. And uh, it's something that probably we need to look because I think twice now we've had somebody ask us to pray for them. And uh, I know that the um, the group here at the station pray for the request that will come in, but maybe we ought to do that. But here's a, here's another thing. You know, it can come to a point where the program is just a prayer program because everybody now wants prayer, et cetera, et cetera. Not there's anything against, but that's not the aim of the program. So that's why we're trying to balance it. And maybe there may be one or two occasions where we might just decide to just go ahead and pray. But it's something that we need to think about. And I appreciate the the sentiment that's expressed. And uh, I think we need to probably look at that more carefully and thoughtfully. And um, maybe even put a five-minute prayer session in in this session. Um, We'll think about it. And I'll ask Nathan to really reflect on it as well. But thank you so much for the, the counsel you're giving there. And I think it's a very good idea and something that you to be taken more seriously. I agree with you. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Sometimes we can get very focused on what we're doing. Uh, and as Pastor did mention, that we have a box here at the Lighthouse of prayer requests that come in. And when someone requests prayer, I do jot it down and stick it in that box. And then during staff prayer time, uh, usually about 9.30 every morning, we ring a bell, and we spend time praying. And even if it's not in relation to this program, if you have a specific prayer request that you would like the staff to be praying for, taking before the throne of God on your behalf, give us a call here at the Lighthouse at some point, and we would be glad to take that request and get your contact information so we can follow up with you after a period of time and see how the Lord has answered that request or if we need to continue praying along the same lines. Another WhatsApp question that has come in, have you ever heard about faith-building exercises where individuals meet to pray and fast for 30 days? During this praying, they speak in tongues and practice laying on hands. Prayers are also written that is termed as impossible to man, where they are asking God to change things, but possible for God to answer. What are your thoughts, Pastor? Well, I've never heard of it, but I think it, it probably happens. I, I'm against the, the concept that, you know, you, you think that then you begin to speak in tongues. Um, I'm totally against that. 
Um, if you read the New Testament very carefully, read the book of Acts or read the book of Corinthians, tongues are the gift that God gives to individuals. It is not something that you can you can you can you can just demand and you're able to do that. I want to remind you as well that the, the, the tongues gift um, the purpose of the tongues gift is always to be able to communicate in some language that you haven't learned. I don't see the importance of that when you meet together as believers and uh, what's the purpose of speaking tongues? Is it an interpreter? If there's going to be not an interpreter, Paul says, shut your mouth up because there's no need to be for that. So I'm against the idea of that. The idea of coming together and, 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 and praying and, and fasting, I think that's a noble idea. Uh, but again, um, you know, we got to get up the idea that we can we can make God do things because of we we doing these kind of activities. There are times when the time for serious time of prayer and fasting, and especially in a time of a crisis or a time of a great need. So I'm not against that. But if they had a situation where pastors or individuals would would get together seriously for that kind of an encounter, uh, I would not be against that. I just against the idea that we have to speak in tongues. We got to do this, do the next. I think we can pour our hearts before God and read the Scripture and pray. I, I'm and, and fast if you want to do that. But again, remember that the Bible says that when you fast, go into your closet. It's not something you want to publish to let people know. Uh, Paul, the Lord said you have your reward. Fasting is supposed to be a very, very private matter with you, and so you shouldn't tell people when you're fasting. People don't need to know that. It's between you and God. And sometimes it's done because of spiritual pride. I uh, want people to consider you to be some kind of a superhero, some kind of a super Christian. Uh, so I'm not against the idea of faith building in the sense of people coming together to pray and, and even fast and read the scripture, etc., etc. So um, it, it, at some level, I think I, I would be okay with that. But um, that's something between individuals within the church or pastors or leaders. Um, I would not be adverse to that, to be very honest with you. Time across the Eastern Caribbean, and in our studios is 8.39. We have 20 minutes left in the program. Still plenty of time for you to send in your questions via WhatsApp or text, one 782 1454 If you'd rather call and be put live on the air, you have that opportunity. The phone line is open, available, and waiting for your call. And you can give us a call at one 462 74 20. I'll give you that number again as you get your phone unlocked. To be put live on the air, 268-462-7420. To WhatsApp or text your question, send it to 268-782-1454. Pastor, that's all the questions that have come in thus far. So we're going to jump back to our topic that we began last week. And the topic of human artificial insemination, not a topic that you normally would hear discussed on in a church service or on a Christian radio station. What is human artificial insemination and why are we discussing it? Well, we, we you know, this is something that's becoming very common now. Uh, you know, just like we used to, well, we still inseminate pigs and hogs and sheep and goat, et cetera, et cetera, to get a, a higher um, uh, quality. It is now become in the human situation it's now become a, uh, to the level where that same type of selection is possible because of reproductive technology and reproductive biology we, we, we know a lot more now we can use that and it's becoming very 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 common uh, and it, it, it's frightening where we're headed with this kind of thing because they're even talking about stockpiling sperms from the, the brightest in the world and 
selective women will be given uh, opportunity for, to bear uh, a certain child. This is what is happening. You know, you you, you want you want a doctor uh, in your family. You know, you get the best sperm for the best doctor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We are coming to Orwellian t- type of world uh, that it, it is not only anti-Christian but a lot of yes. Go ahead. Pastor, we have a caller from St. Kitts Nevis. Thank you for calling. Go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Hi, Nathan. How are you doing, sir? I'm not doing too badly. I'm here listening to the program. Okay. Um, I want to bring to your attention, I want to have your input on First uh, Kings chapter 22, verses 45 and 46. Okay, let me see if I can answer that question. Uh, let me see what it is first. First Kings 22. 45 and 46. All right, let me read those. Scroll down to the correct verses here. 45 and 46 says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? verse 46 and the remnant of the sodomites which remained in the days of his father Asa he took out of the land uh, I'm not too sure what you want me to say about that but it's very very clear that the sodomites there are the homosexuals and this godly king removed them from the land uh, that is exactly a homosexual back in those days would have been stoned and killed because that's contrary to the moral law of God and that's what this godly king did now of course we're not we're not living under a theocracy or living under uh, an economy of law uh, so we don't have the authority to uh, take to these people to kill Kill yeah, we don't have we don't have that right, and I think they ought to to be you know listen. I am not against a person for every human being ought to be respected because of God's dignity and value. What I cannot endorse is an unbiblical lifestyle. I can never endorse a homosexual as normal, or as 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 the Bible says very clear. It's against nature. He was not born that way. Uh, if if anybody teaches that is is contrary to Scripture, is not born that way. It is, a, it is something that a person has uh, through habit. And normally it starts very, very, very early. Most of these people started very, very early where they either got involved with an older person or, or, or they were abused by a father, an uncle, whatever it is. In most cases, there's some kind of a sexual act very, very early that occurred in, in those people's lives. But the idea, and, and then because it's happened so early, they think it is normal. This is not normal. It's not normal. But again, we don't have a right to um, to, to 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 take these people out and put them in prison, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the same time, I think we've gone to the other extreme, where we are allowing them to propagate their ungodliness, uh, and we are almost treating as though it is normal. It is not normal. It is it's shameful for a person to be a homosexual, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, but we can't. We can't in a democracy. We cannot imprison them. We can't. They got have rights. Like we've got rights. No question about that. But here's the problem, Nathan. You take a church. You take a church that has a school. You take a Christian who has a business. Uh, I, I, if I uh, have I had a business, I can't employ a homosexual to be in my business. What do I want a homosexual in my business for? I'm. A, I am a steward of what God has given to me. And I got to use what God has given to me as a steward. I can't be engaging and uh, uh, supporting something that is contrary to what God is. I, I, I'm a baker. 
I could bake, you could come here, you could buy my cake and enjoy my cake, but when you come to me and tell me you want me to bake a cake because you're going to get married to another man, I can't do that. How can I do that? And that's the problem government has. To, to people to have freedom, but yet at the same time, uh, uh, respecting the fact that you should have your religious conscience. That used to be accepted in America before, that your religious conscience would guide you. Now they're trying to break that apart so that everything becomes normalized because they're trying to create an egalitarian society where everybody's equal uh, and forgetting that uh, a man has to live by his Christian conscience. And I don't know down here in the, in the Caribbean, I, I, I'm very fearful what is coming upon us because we tend to follow suit what happens in these larger countries and we might find ourselves in some of the very, very difficult situations in the future. All I would say to believers is to arm yourself because we're going to have to take a stand, and we, in taking a stand, it's going to cost us. We've got to be willing to pay a price when it happens uh, at the, uh, and, and take a stand for God. And by the way, remember this, it's only when the church is persecuted the church grows because people begin to realize that there's something more important than just a job or something more important than just approval. God matters. You'll never find that the church is ever persecuted where it doesn't grow. And I think we're coming to that stage that the Lord tarries. I don't know if that helps you, Nathan, but the problem... Well, if uh, these people who live this lifestyle don't think repentance is the way to go? Yes, that's the way to go. That's what we believe, and that's what the Bible repentance teaches. Repentance and turning to God. Yes, because in, in Corinthians chapter 6, he said, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. The answer to their problem is Christ. But here's the problem. Those people who want to push this agenda that this is normal cannot accept the fact that a person can change because if a person can change through the gospel, it means they weren't born that way. See, And that's the problem. They cannot, they're, they're fighting against the cause of Christ and against Christianity because Christianity is a rebuke to their lifestyle. And they must destroy Christianity in order to normalize this, this behavior. That's why they want to ban the Bible because... Correct. The Bible doesn't give credence to these kind of lifestyles. Exactly, exactly. You're right, Nathan, about that. Exactly, and that's that's the problem. And that's where Christians need to take a stand. We're just accepting these things as though they're not going to affect us in the long term. But now look what is happening. The, 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 the roosters come home to roost, and now we're faced with all these difficulties. That if we had taken a stand early. Uh, government would have taken a notice of us because, as I said in America, the disappointment in America got over 68 million, I think, evangelicals. <laughs> and I tell you, they don't even have enough room for the, the prisons they've got right now. You get Christians to take a stand, these politicians would take twice and three times. But believers, and, and it's, it's politics that's destroying Christianity. It's politics. Believers are too wrapped up in politics and not prepared to take a biblical stand on issues. And we're going to pay an awesome price uh, in the future. Thank you so much, Nathan. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call, Nathan. We appreciate it. And trust that you are receiving a good, strong signal of the Radio Lighthouse there in Nevis and St. Kitts area. No matter where you're listening from, we are glad that you have chosen to participate in the program thus far tonight. We've got nine minutes left. Still enough time for you to send in a question via WhatsApp or text if you want. 268-782-1454 
or if you call right away, the phone line is open and available, 268-462-7420. Pastor, you were talking about human artificial insemination. Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what is, is kind of revealing, Nathan, is that the first time that you had anybody attempting artificial insemination was in 1790, and that was a guy called John Hunter, uh, an English surgeon. The um, first American that did it was in 1866. That was a guy called Marion Sims. But the Americans pushed back against it, and he had to stop. Suddenly now, in the 1900s, uh, the 21st and 20th century, it becomes popular. There's no pushback on it. Until in 1979, you now had 75, 750,000 Americans born this way by artificial insemination. And every year, it's between 30 and 60,000 Americans born this way by artificial insemination. You see how the, the moral attitude has changed. Uh, from 1790 um, and uh, 1866, now what was condemned and considered immoral and wrong has suddenly become normal. And that shows you the complete change in Christians' attitude towards this whole, whole, whole trend. Until now, it is almost accepted that this is going to be uh, play a, a major role in the future. Uh, and that is frightening. I believe we may have a call to put on in just a minute. But until then, why is the demand for artificial human insemin- insemination increasing? Well, we mentioned uh, last time, uh, gave you some several reasons why um, this was happening. Uh, one had to do with the fact that um, infertility in women is becoming a very, very uh, serious problem. Uh, sometimes, I mean, they're trying to discover why, uh, but there are a lot of facts. Sometimes it's the vaginal tumors, sometimes it's the scarring of the vagina, especially because of abortion and people need to be told that people who have abortions uh, may not be able to have children because it's scaring the way they use it and then um, also the matter of um, obesity uh, is another 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 problem Um, there's also the small cervical opening there's also the abnormal position of the uterus there are a lot of reasons but go ahead Pastor we have a caller from Antigua thank you for calling and go ahead quickly with your question please Hello. Hello. Good evening, sir. Hello. Um, he, he he said something a while ago. What's that? Um, the pastor. Yes. Go ahead. And the millionaire. Well, what because what you didn't two, like? Two people, two people, two people married. Uh huh. And then he shouldn't say he should get a, a um um put a lawyer or whatever. Uh-huh. No, straightforward. Uh-huh. Go to God. Yeah. He said forgive. Let me just say this. I'm not adverse. My first, when it comes to marriage, my first thing is a salvage of marriage. But here's a person who just married a girl. She goes to where he is supposed to be and he's living with another woman. You're dealing with yeah, you're dealing yeah. with a rascal now. You're not dealing with a Christian. You're dealing with a rascal. Abandonment. You're de- that's total abandonment. You're dealing with somebody who has no heart, who has no soul, who has no yeah. concern about people. Right? But you still have to forgive. I'm not suggesting you. you I'm not suggesting you can't be forgiven there, but I'm suggesting to her as well. He ought to pay a price. He will go and do the he same thing to somebody the else. Price, the price they will pay uh-huh. is God that will give, give it to them. <laughs> okay. No one. Yeah. The price they will pay is uh-huh. God that will give. You, 
by the physical know them, you know. Yeah. But it's God that will give them the, the, the answer. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not against what you're saying, right? But I'm not for men abusing women like recklessly that they do all the time. And they've been doing it for far too long. And they've been getting away with it because people have been too soft on them. The need to pay some legal price when you do something that that is put your daughter in that situation. She just married a guy. She haven't even slept with him yet, and then she goes to, and then he's sleeping with somebody else. You put your wife, you put your daughter in that situation. That it's is wrong. Huh? But the word of God is the word of God. Render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God. Yes, and God so gives legal, God gives biblical basis for divorce. A biblical basis of divorce is adultery. That's adultery. Yes, it is adultery. Yeah. But God, God will judge. Yeah. The person. And then the person should forgive. If the person, other person, don't forgive, he, 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 because they married already, you know. They don't marry already. Yes, but so even though, even though, if they can salvage the marriage, let them salvage the marriage. But my my contention is this: if they cannot salvage the marriage, she has biblical grounds for divorce because he's committed adultery. But you must always try to save a marriage if you can. But in a case like this, as far as I'm concerned, this guy can't love this woman cannot love this woman. He has no interest in her whatsoever other than maybe to take her to bed. So this is not a person who has a heart of love and compassion for woman. Yes. This is a person who is using the woman. But I'm not, I'm not adverse to what you're saying, sir. To be very honest, I'm not adverse against what you're saying. Anybody that knows uh, myself would know that I always want healing first. But in this kind of a case, uh, I don't see that this is ever a relationship that was ever meant to be. And I don't think this man has the slightest inkling of love for this woman. I think she's, he's betrayed her, put her in a bad situation. And if she wants to get out of that, she has biblical grounds to get out. If she wants healing and wants forgiveness and wants to work it out, no problem whatsoever. But she does have biblical grounds for divorce if she so chooses. Pastor, is there ever, thank you for the call from Antigua. We appreciate you calling and sharing that. Pastor, is there ever a biblical basis for someone staying in an abusive relationship in the name of Christianity? Look, the Bible gives you some options. Uh, there are two basic reasons for divorce in the Bible. There is adultery and there's abandonment. In a case where there is physical abuse, separation is what the, the Bible would counsel. Read it in, in, in Corinthians chapter 7. It talks about if you, this, this, if you can't live with a person, separate from them. So you can separate from a person biblically in a case like that. And perhaps try to get the person get some kind of counseling if it can become kind of a healing. If the person is uh, abusive repeatedly, uh, a price you have to pay is to live a separate life. You don't have biblical grounds as far as the Bible is concerned for that because it's not adultery. However, in a case where you um, you can't live with the person and you separate from the person because of abuse, in most cases, they're going to commit adultery. So, But for conscience sake, you just can't divorce a person because you're going through some kind of abuse. But you will find grounds if you wait long enough and let God work out His plan. Look, I, I will tell Christians this. Always try to do and follow what God said in His Word. Um, it might be painful that you have to endure a life of, of separation for a period of time. I understand that. But again, think of being able to do, do uh, if you're going to do divorce, do it biblically. So that, because you've got to live with God and live with your conscience. But the idea of staying in a relationship where a man is beating a woman and threatening her, etc., 
is, is, is ludicrous, ludicrous. A woman in that situation ought to be advised to separate from the man. He ought to get counsel. And uh, if she wants to come back temporarily to see if there's any transformation, she may do that. But if there's no transformation, my advice, she not, these people normally end up dead, Nathan. Mm. Either a guy takes a cutlass, take off her. Uh, I mean, I lived in St. Lucia for a while. Cutlass is a very common way of killing people in St. Lucia, okay? I'm not too sure in Antigua here what to do in that matter. But I'm not advising anybody in a physical abusive situation to stay in that relationship. You have biblical grounds you can separate from the person and uh, allow that person to get counsel. Pastor, in the last minute here, a follow-up question in relation to the faith-building exercises that were asked about. Mm -hmm. Pastor, could you address the laying on of hands because the individual is suggesting that it is associated with Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. Um, I would have to read it. I'm not. Let me deal with that a little bit more extensively, Nick. But let me just say this. Be very, very careful about laying on of hands. Very, very, very careful. Um, and again, I'm speaking from a perspective of um, what is called transference. What is happening with a lot of the African pastors that have come out of Africa, they've synchronized Christianity with animism and spiritism. And they have been involved in transferring, uh, in a lot of cases, demonic matters to people in the Caribbean. And that, that is a reality. And you've got to be very much... So don't let anybody lay any hands on you, because that's how they transfer one spirit from you to the other person. So you've got to be very, very watchful in that regard. Thank you very much for all the interaction tonight. Thank you for your questions. And if you have a question that comes up before next week's episode, don't hesitate to send it in. Send it via WhatsApp, 268-782-1454. And tune in next week as we continue our topic of human artificial insemination. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.